take a beat and then I'm gonna do it. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is a robbery. Now, if nobody loses their head, nobody will lose their head. Simon says, y'all lay down on the floor, please, right away. Thank you. Ma'am, would you get down? No, not you, sir. Let's see who will win the prize for keeping their cool. Sir, will you do the honors? Take out all the cash out of the drawer and put it in a paper bag. Yes, ma'am. You're, amazing... oh. <laughs> You're gonna have an amazing story to tell your friends. If not, you'll have a tag on your toe. You decide. Hurry up, let's go. Ma'am, would you be quiet? Sir, get down, please. Thank you. Just stay there. Get real comfortable. Hey, uh, throw in some bottles of wild turkey, too, will you? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Now you get down, too. Yes, ma'am. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for all your cooperation. Now stay on, down on the floor till I'm gone and have a good day. Welcome to Flower Film Country. I'm Isaac Sins. I'm Olivia Clement. And this is a podcast about... Films set in places off forgotten by Hollywood. Today we're doing one of the greats. One of the 10 out of 10 perfect movies we've ever recorded. Or, co sorry, covered. Thelma and Louise, Ridley Scott, 1991. Gina Davis, Susan Sarandon. And joining us, she just recreated that line. It's, G it's uh, Gina Davis herself. <laughs> Listen, I love Gina Davis. I... So, I know we talked about A League of Their Own. You've never seen it, right? I haven't yet, no. Okay, so that was one of my favorite movies as a kid. She's in that, and I was like, man, I want to be... Her character's name is Dottie. I want to be Dottie so badly. And so, I just love Gina Davis, and seeing her in this movie made me love her all the more. What uh, what was the first... Was League of, Her Own, of Their Own the first uh, Gina Davis experience you had? think so i can't remember if i saw that or stuart little first but i'm pretty sure oh i, saw I forgot she's in stuart little she is in stuart little have you seen the meme about stuart little where it's like look <laughs> at all these orphans and it's like we'll take the rat we'll take the rat <laughs> yeah i have seen it so um i think the first time i saw gina davis was in beetlejuice oh yeah that might she's have been really good also, and, and yeah. really funny in beetlejuice man She's been in a lot of like classic movies, really. The first thing I wanted to ask you in terms of like, you know, we always talk about like movie, like points of reference. Mm -hmm. For me, Susan Sarandon is um, uh, Witches of Eastwick. Have you seen that? I don't think so. Olivia. Witches of Eastwick is um, Susan Sarandon, Cher... Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and freaking Jack Nicholson mm -hmm. and Veronica Cartwright and it's directed by George Miller and it's one of the wow. funniest and like most insane movies I've ever seen I I just saw it it was on it's streaming on what HBO Max I think it's streaming uh, yeah. on something I just yeah. saw it recently um so it's like know. they conjure they like they use witchcraft to conjure the perfect man and it's mm -hmm. jack nicholson and he's like a terrible he's like the <laughs> devil <laughs> and then he seduces all of them and then they like end up getting back at him it is one of the funniest movies ever honestly the very first thing i may have seen her in was this is hilarious this is an animated movie it's rugrats in paris 
She voiced oh. she voices the bad guy in that, and she's also she also voices a character in Cats and Dogs, and she was in a few episodes of Friends, which I watch. I remember watching. Susan Sarandon. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. She plays. Yeah. Um. In she plays this like really dramatic actor who works with Joey, and so she's in a short little stint on friends. Gotcha. I forgot. She's the bad guy in, uh, enchanted too. Oh, she's like the evil witch or whatever. She's so, a legend. She is a legend. She's really good. Um, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're both phenomenal in this. Um, I wanted to start by asking, so is this a Clement family stable? This is not. No, okay. this is the first time I've ever watched this movie. Nice. Okay. So I thought I, think... I thought about Eric whenever we were about to watch this because I knew that he had seen this and he really uh-huh. likes this movie. Yeah. So shout out to Eric. Yeah. Shout out to Eric. I almost said R.I.P. Every time we talk about <laughs> Eric, I want to say R.I.P. But then I'm like, I don't want people to think he's actually dead. I just... Rest in podcast. Rest in podcast. Uh, so... Yeah, I know. I know he really likes this movie. This cast is so good. I was thinking about it. I was like, Christopher McDonald, who plays uh, Daryl, Thelma's mm-hmm. husband, is the worst. He and I think he plays a like a bad guy in every single thing I've ever seen him in. Yep, I think you're right. This cast is pretty amazing. You got Gina Davis, Susan Sarandon, Harvey Keitel as Hal, kind of mm-hmm. like. I I love how this is one of the all time like great feminist movies because or not even it's like it's like not even feminist it's just like women you know like you sent me uh Sorsha Ronan saying women and Little Women um because the men get like the amount of screen time they deserve for the role that they play mm-hmm. in the movie like Michael Madsen gets I think the most screen time. Maybe, maybe him or Brad Pitt, I don't know. But Harvey Keitel is really good, partially because he's like, if he was in this movie too much, it would detract from mm-hmm. the two leads. And instead, he's just funny. Like, he's like the Arkansas State Police, and the, mm-hmm. like all the men's stories are kind of, or their backgrounds are kind of like underwritten mm-hmm. to a point where you can kind of infer some things about their past. Like right at the end, Harvey Keitel said, we can't do this. This always ends up blowing up in my face or something along those lines. Kind of saying like he, you can, you can infer that he's had a history of chases gone wrong because he didn't handle them well, or was out of his control or something like that. But it's like just very barely written in, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's subtle but not underhanded, you know? So, yeah, I think that this whole cast is, is really great. I think when I sent you the, the women, uh, picture meme, it was whenever Hal was interviewing the waitress from the bar and was like, Hey, did you see them? Are, are, do you think that they did this? And she was like, there's no way those two women did it. Um, it was probably, you know, his wife or someone else's wife, uh, or someone's husband who shot him. And you know what? 
it was going to come to him sooner or later. And I was like, yes, women supporting women, even though they totally did do it. And they should probably go to jail for murdering someone, but women. So I was like, that's amazing. It is. And they blew up that guy's car. And they blew up his car. Or sorry, sorry, his, uh, his rig. Yeah. Also, that guy was like out in the middle of no, like he, he was going to Mexico. He was doing something weird too. Some weird. Yeah. Yeah. There were more explosions in this than I was expecting there to be. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. It really, yep. this movie has everything. Yep. It's got strong leads, great supporting cast, great director, great writing, explosions. And you know, my favorite. <laughs> Tell us your favorite. Kissing. Kissing. Great kissing. <laughs> I. I thought, no, I thought you were. I thought you were just intentionally like. <laughs> no, no. Waiting. I was like, no. I really don't know what where you're going with this. Um, no, it's funny that you said that because I straight up was like, man, if this movie was made today, they would Thelma and Louise would end up being like love interests, and they didn't together. And mm-hmm. then that kiss at the end, I was like, oh, sh- oh, okay. Well, I was. I stand corrected. Yeah. So, so we kind of Thelma's. Thelma's probably not bi, but Louise, she's she's probably bi curious, right? She's at least bi curious. She's at least bi curious. I also she, love I, I love how much throughout the whole movie Thelma's just like talking, and then Louise just goes, "Shut up, Thelma!" <laughs> like she just gets like annoyed. It's like they they're so good together because you know that they're both so dialed into like their roles mm-hmm. and especially Louise just being like, I'm so sick of you. Just stop talking. <laughs> well, which to her credit, it was a stressful Thelma, situation. Yeah. Thelma was being annoying and was just panicking and was not helping the situation whatsoever, which also in Thelma's defense, she did just witness. She did just get raped and she just witnessed a guy get murdered so i mean it's been a rough rough day for both of them yeah yeah so absolutely um what here's a here's a question for you is this i don't know like this this might be my favorite where where does this rank in terms of the uh ridley scott movies you've seen oh that's a good question because i i was watching this and i just I love how like n- like real mm-hmm. it is for all of the uh like compared to all the movies that he's directed and like known for. You know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. you got he's directed some know, bangers. Yeah. yeah. So, I the only movies of his I've seen actually seen are Alien Thelma and Louise. I've seen Gladiator, like bits and pieces of Gladiator. I don't know if I've sat down and watched it all the way through as an adult. Um, and then I've seen The Last Duel and House of Gucci. Mm-hmm. It's me, Paolo. I, I want to fly like a pigeon. <laughs> I don't I, I don't know. That was just it's it's one of those things I think it might be I would say it's at least his most underrated movie. Honestly, I 
agree with you, which is cre- like which is funny because this is such a like it is a highly rated movie. Right. But I I mean compared to these other ones like Alien, people talk about Alien and Gladiator all the time. People talk about um The Martian was really popular. Mhm. And so American Gangster, I forgot he directed that. G.I. Jane. Like, so he's directed some really great movies. And I think that this should be up there with, with the, I feel like people don't ever talk about him directing this movie. And it was right in during that, uh, I guess he did Black Rain. 10, so 91 when Thelma and Louise released was 10 years after Blade Runner, I think. It was, yeah, it was, it was nine years. Yeah, nine years after. So you get like, Alien and Blade Runner within three years of each other. I don't know. Yeah, he just has a really interesting career. Right. I think I think like Matchstick Men would be the other one that people would say that's his low-key, like undersung masterpiece. Mm. Matchstick Men is um I watched that last year. Um is really, really good and kind of like has this surprising emotional support uh emotional performance from nick cage mm-hmm. and has this sort of like tenderness that you don't expect from ridley scott movies you usually expect them to be like impulsive and intense and violent and yeah i feel like this i feel like matchstick men is very much in line emotionally with the with Thelma and louise i need to check that out I so where would you where would you rank it as far as I I think that I would put it man it's one of my favorites from him if it's above alien for me or not just yet I will say this I had a thought like while I was watching this movie of Ridley Scott directs women really well he does like I think that that because, you know, I think about Sigourney Weaver's performance in Alien and just how incredible she is in that mm-hmm. and how incredible the performances are from Gene Davis and Susan Sarandon in this. And I'm just like, I don't know how many uh, like male directors could could bring such a great performance from female actors like this. Yeah. Um, so that was my thought. Have you followed up? Um, have you seen James Cameron's? Aliens? Yes. Like, have you continued the franchise? Yes. I have watched all of them. I've seen... There's four with Sigourney Weaver, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've seen all four of those. I have not seen Prometheus um, or Alien. Or Covenant. Covenant. Yeah. Because Catherine... So, Catherine Waterston uh, is is now a kind of recurring slash main character on Perry Mason season mm-hmm. two as a uh, Perry's love interest. I forgot how good she is. And I remembered kind of in a flash how good she is in alien covenant uh, because she's basically, she's basically Sigourney Weaver in terms okay. of all the action and physical performance. Um, and then Numi Rapace is in, Alien Covenant, and they're both they're the leads in both those movies that he's mm-hmm. directing, and they're and they're, there's there's a birth sequence in Prometheus that is like 
really, really gross. So get ready. Here's the deal. Giving birth is such a horrendous sight to see. Uh-huh. I do not ever want to see it. Just. But it's I beautiful. So much... Okay. <laughs> Listen. That's fine and well. I don't ever want to see it. I I have mad respect for all women who have given birth, including Jessica Sims. Yes. Yes. Me too. And me too. by the time this episode comes out, Morgan Lyle. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. Actually, Man. like the day of. Yeah. Man. We're gonna have two little babies in this pod squad. Baby Josephine Lyle. Welcome to the world. May you never kill someone outside of a diner. Unless he deserves it. Unless he deserves it. Then you, yeah, then he deserves no, it. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't murder anyone. Don't ever kill anyone. It's really bad. For legal reasons, that was a joke. Yeah. Um, this is Brad Pitt's breakout role, right? I think so. This I, I did not know he was in this. I was like, this is a young baby brad pitt mm-hmm. so he yeah he was so young also i thought it was really funny that she, that gina davis was talking about how cute his butt was i was like oh this is hilarious because it's a little butt his little butt yeah but you know what in wranglers anything looks good also he looks good in anything so yep yeah he's looking like a million bucks but yeah, this was him breaking out onto the scene. And um yeah, he's he's really good. My I was trying to remember someone that I used to work with. I'm trying to remember what the connection was. She like somehow met his parents or something and somehow had like his parents' home phone number. I I don't know. I don't remember. Anyway, because he's from Missouri. And he would just like show up in Branson randomly and people would freak out. So. He was born in Shawnee, Oklahoma. There you go. But he did not like grow up here. It's, yeah. Which is funny because you pass through Shawnee, which I think you do whenever you're coming from like Central Arkansas to Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a sign that says birthplace of Brad Pitt. And it's like, this dude hasn't been here since he was born. Relax, yeah. everyone. The Chamber of Commerce needs something to put on there. That's right. On their welcome sign. What a, so, oh, yeah. so like I could name, so the, the first two, the two movies that we talked about recently that are referenced mm-hmm. in this are, or, or that, that borrow heavily from Thelma and Louise is Don't Worry Darling with the car mm-hmm. chase scene in the desert and like all of the cars kind of like closing in on them. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and also the car chase scene was um, unpregnant, which we didn't cover, but you which and I both talked about recently. Talk about. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. I didn't think about that, but yeah, you're right. Um, I think, I mean, I think this is just a, a movie that is so well written and produced. And yeah. it's just, again, a phenomenal movie that I think that, directors want to trip like pay tribute to it and so i think you know that's what olivia wilde did in don't worry darling and then i don't remember who directed 
I'm pregnant. But I think she also, I would guess that she also feels that way about this movie. Yeah. So. Yeah, Callie Corey, uh, they, they, she won the 92 Oscar for Best Original Screenplay mm -hmm. for this movie. And it is really well-deserved. What did I text you? What did I text you whenever we were confirming tonight, tonight's recording? Isaac texted me verbatim. He said, "I said still good to record tonight," and he said, "Yes, so excited. It's a perfect movie." Which, and I said in response to that, "You haven't said that about a movie that we've covered in a really long time." So I except curious, like, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. Shut, shut up! Don't even. <laughs> how dare you? Shut up, Thelma. <laughs> Shut up, Thelma. <laughs> I'm trying to think here. Trying to think here. Um, so, okay, well, let me ask you this. What about this movie is so perfect for you? I feel like this is one of those... Um, it's because it's funny and it's natural and it does all of the storytelling without any... Um, I don't know. It does the storytelling almost perfectly once you get into the thick of it with editing kind of the smash cuts to um, like the smash cut from her running out and being like drive drive when she robs mm -hmm. the store and this is toward the end of the movie but she's like well what did you say and he's like well I walked in and I said and then it cuts to the footage of her yeah on the security tape and it's the FBI <laughs> watching it like eating their lunch and uh -huh. Daryl's watching it too, and he's just flabbergasted that Thelma's robbing <laughs> this <laughs> store. It's so funny. It's yes. and uh and and it's just a great like it's it's great film school stuff. Like you you cut and you you change perspectives, and then mm -hmm. you have this unique perspective of being like observing as you if uh as your uh, security camera and just stuff like that. It's so, it's so good. But then also conversely, the difficult parts are really, really difficult. Um, and the inciting moment with the rape and Harlan is just really dark and violent and foul. And you never escape the shadow of it. Right. Right. Cause like, that's that's what triggers this whole thing and it just becomes this um like snowball avalanche of disaster one after another where they they eventually are just like oh we we really have no, no other choice and that man i really did not know that's like it, it was going to be that like vivid of a scene Mm -hmm. and so as i as it was on i was like i can't watch this i can't watch this i, yep. had, to, I had to look away because I was it's like, upsetting I, for sure it, it's really upsetting so just a forewarning for anyone who has not seen this movie and is interested in watching it there is a rape scene it's pretty intense um but also like and, and it's it's intense and graphic but not like it's it's graphic in the way that Gina Davis and um, what's his name, Harlan, 
are performing it, it's just it is incredibly believable and you feel like you're there and it's upsetting so yeah it's it's really there's upsetting. no nudity per se is what i'm trying to say no there's not any nudity um like not any straight on like you see like side but like it's no like actual straight on nudity it, timothy it, carhart is... plays harlan oh, okay yeah it was yeah it was it was a lot so just just a heads up if you are curious about watching this movie um, we definitely recommend watching this movie, but if that scene might be upsetting, skip over it. That's okay. Uh, we've already talked about what happens anyway, so like you, you know what's gonna happen. Um, but yeah, like that scene's really unsettling and disturbing. And honestly, Louise did what I think I would do. Like maybe I maybe I wouldn't actually shoot the guy, but I think that I would like pull out a gun and threaten him. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know, that's a, a true friend right there who's willing to threaten to kill some douchebag for you. Yeah. It's so funny too. It's like that you have the Chekhov's gun type of thing uh right at the beginning of the movie. Do you mm-hmm. see the gun before she pulls it out in the car? When they're pulling you see out of her town. Grab it. You see okay. Thelma grab it from yeah. Uh, I think the nightstand or something like that. Yeah, so. I think that. So it's like if you show a gun, you gotta you gotta see the gun go off later in the play. That's right. So, and then so. she's like, "Hey, what what do you? I brought this. We might need it. What do? You, and she's like, "What do you? What do you bring? And it's just so yeah. funny too. It's like that's such a. Uh, but do you know what year this is set? Is this supposed to be set in the eighties? I think it's set ninety one, is what I'm guessing, because it okay. still has. I mean, the the clothing. They got the Polaroids it, and the clothes. Yeah. yeah. So so the clothing makes it look still like, and here's the deal: it starts out in Arkansas, and so if you think about like style and fashion, it always comes to like the flyover states last, and so. Yep. While in the '90s it may have already shifted elsewhere, um, you know, on the on the east or west coast, it's still very very '80s at that point. Um, you know, like Thelma looks like like an '80s housewife, mm-hmm. which is what she was. I mean, so so it's not until this newfound liberation where either one of them really can dr- maybe dress how they want to actually. Yeah. So, how did you feel about the the character development? Like, it happens really quickly, because I mean, this happened. This movie takes place over what, like, four or five days, if that. Yeah. So, what did yeah. you think about about that? Maybe development's not the right, but the arc of Thelma and Louise. Did you call that Thelma, um, or did you call that Louise? Um, it, it looking back on it, it makes so much sense why she would just like no thought, just kill him right then and there mm-hmm. because of the Texas thing. Because we found out that um, Louise was also taken advantage of in a mm-hmm. undisclosed town, probably Dallas or something in in Texas, and that's why they're going around Texas mm-hmm. to get to Mexico. Which I was like, man, you should just drive through they could have made it if they had just gone through texas they they could have yeah. <laughs> that's the sad thing but also like for 
women vic- women are men i men are also victims of sexual assault often it's it more often than not it's it's women they have i mean they, ha- they can't go back to that place where it happened yeah. um so so i understand why she didn't want to go through texas but you're right they, they would have made it had they just gone through texas um yeah. also it was funny when she was like we can't go through texas and thelma was like we're in Oklahoma and you want to go to Mexico. And she, and, and it was one of those hilarious moments where you're like, she's so ditzy, but she does understand. Like, yeah, you want to go all the way around. <laughs> like, right. Cause the whole, the whole panhandle, like, I mean, we're pretty much the whole Southern border of Oklahoma is Texas. Yep. Much to my chagrin. I'm just kidding. Texas what, did I ever fine. tell you about whenever I was uh, went to uh, Dallas to fly to Dallas to Mexico with um, Zach Bailey? No. And we're just like driving and we're like, you know, we're past Texarkana, but not to Dallas yet. Mm-hmm. And he just goes, he just looks out the window. We weren't talking and he just looks out the window and goes, I hate this place. And I was like, <laughs> like that gas station? And he's like, no, <laughs> Texas. I hate Texas. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it. I get it. I get it. So, um, I don't. But this is funny though. I'm talking about hating Texas because mm-hmm. this weekend we're recording it on a this episode on a Thursday. This weekend I'm going to Dallas to hang out with some friends in Texas. But are you um, going to Mexico? Not going to Mexico. Okay. We're not going to the land of my people. I just want to make sure you were okay. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I'm not okay, but I'm not fleeing the country. Not because I didn't shoot anyone. So I go. did not shoot anyone. I feel like I need to emphasize no <laughs> shots have been fired. No, like, literal and physical shots. We're taking fired. other shots on this podcast, but not... That's right. Specifically at Texas? Specifically at Texas. Specifically at Ant-Man and the Wasp in the Quantumania. Yep. Yep. Character development. Yeah, what do you think you, about the art? Did we ever you, actually answer that question? I let us down a rabbit hole. You uh, get the sense right away that these are best friends. That like it, and th- and that's just one of the things. It's like so beautiful. Is good scripts don't feel like scripts. They feel like t- they they feel like life, and they feel like this is real life and these are real people. And even though I know that's Harvey Keitel, that is an Arkansas state policeman. Mm-hmm. And he even, even like Harvey Keitel laughing whenever they like run through the rain to get to the awning when they get to Daryl's and right, yeah. it's just like, it's so on every, every little thing is unexpected, but sometimes like the production of movies is, tries to be unexpected in big ways. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like in Thelma and Louise, it is just, you're constantly drawn in by how lifelike and lived in the performances are. So right. I don't know. This is just, and even like the whole central plot of Unpregnant with them driving together and them being very different and like, the chemistry between them on the road trip is just very Thelma and Louise. This is like kind of like a, a very influential culturally sort of movie in terms of like the two performances at the center. 
Yes, I I agree with you. I think that the the way that Thelma and Louise are presented, it seems like they are probably childhood best friends. Like they've probably known each other for years. Yeah. Right. And and it doesn't say ever like where in Arkansas they're from, but we can we can guess, especially in in 91, it was probably some really small town. Like even if it was you know, somewhere in central Arkansas, it wasn't Little Rock. It was probably some tiny town. Um, and so my guess is probably Eastern Arkansas, just because of how like long it probably takes them to get from wherever they are to, you know, they stop, they stop at some bar in somewhere in Arkansas. So I'm thinking they're probably, um, in Eastern Arkansas making their way towards, Maybe like West. West Memphis or Jonesboro. Yeah. 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 And so somewhere in that area. And maybe they stopped that, in like Greenwood or Van Buren. Oh, never <laughs> stopped in Greenwood. Absolutely not. All sorts no, of shots you. being taken. Yeah. Greenwood is the worst. It's 37 Magnus. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is yeah. that is one thing I thought about. I was like, I think this is Arkansas, but also whenever um whenever Michael Madsen's character comes back later, uh whenever Jimmy comes back to his apartment, it looks very urban. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, is this Little Rock? Like, is this de- supposed to be downtown Little Rock? It, they didn't film it there almost certainly, right. but like yeah. is it supposed to be there? So Which I mean, they they could just not have had a great idea of like what small town Arkansas is going to look like, you know? That's true. So, but you're right. It did. I didn't think about that until you said that, but yeah, it did look pretty, pretty urban, pretty like what I would imagine maybe more like Little Rock or Fayetteville maybe in the early nineties looked like. Uh, Yeah. There are very few places in Arkansas that look like that. I think like Fayetteville does and maybe like one or two sections of Little Rock. Mm-hmm. But yeah. and and maybe Bentonville now, but not Bentonville in the 90s. No. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, so, so we uh, this is us I- identifying different types of development patterns and, you know, urban landscapes. Right, yes. On this Something podcast. That you and so. I both love to do. Yep. And we both do really well. I lead so. us there mainly because of my background. So right, yeah. my apologies. No, it's okay. No, yeah. you, I mean, I enjoyed it. I don't really care if anyone else did. But on that vein, <laughs> um, in that in that vein, the the like you see all kinds of just incredible landscapes, both like natural and man made. Mm-hmm. And man, there's some of like the most beautiful scenery in this movie, especially when you get oh, toward yeah. the end and. and and they realize, oh dang! I think this is the Grand Canyon. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, that was uh, amazing. What? Like, yeah, we're this. I kept watching it, thinking like this is the quintessential flyover movie because this. There's just it, like, have you ever had a moment like that where you're driving like a back a back road or a highway that's pretty remote and just thinking, I am this like the most alone I've ever been. Yes. Yeah. There's been a couple times where, like, I think anytime I've driven through Kansas, I'm like, man, there is nothing out here. 
Like, I went to a concert outside of Kansas City. Technically, it's in Kansas City. But I went to a concert back in October, and I I drove uh, me and two of my friends. And the whole time I was driving through Kansas, I was like, there is nothing out here. Mm -hmm. If we die, no one will know for days. Which is not true, but... Because my mom would have freaked out. But... Which is fine. Thanks, mom, for caring. She has find my live on there. She does not actually have me, but I always, especially when I go on trips, I typically will, uh, I say typically, I will always like text her when I leave and when I get there. So, um, find my live dog. Yeah. Find my live dog. Um, so anyway, but yeah. And then there was, there was one time when I was in high school, we went on a, it was my senior year. We went on a ski trip. Our, our church did or youth group did to Colorado and we drove through Kansas and it was in the middle of the night and there were no other cars on the road. And I was just like, wow, this is terrifying. And also, you know, the, the wind turbines. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I didn't know those were out there and I had never seen them before. Cause I, I moved out of Oklahoma before they really like got close to like where I was living in Oklahoma at the time. And so I'd never seen them and I definitely never seen them at night. And all of a sudden, you just see red lights blinking, and I was like, "Oh, are we are are aliens?" Yeah, it, they they do look like UFOs. Yeah. Um. So I was like, "Oh no, we're gonna die." Update. Spoiler alert. It was just the wind turbines. So real we question though. Do you believe? Do you think aliens are real? Man. Um. I was talking to a friend about this at work the other day. I I just have a really hard time that believing that the God of the universe that you and I both believe in, who has created this vast universe with galaxies we don't even know about, and we are the only living like creatures. Yep. We're the only planet with like life on it yep i just i just find that really hard to believe um is that theologically correct i don't know but here's the deal i'm probably theologically incorrect about a lot of things so so that's where i'm at do you believe i i don't know i've been thinking about it a lot recently not like going down any deep dark reddit threads or anything like that Mm -hmm. but i i have been thinking about just from a like logical point of view and like hmm because there are a lot of you know real instances of people saying like they were pretty normal sane and then they said i had i had this encounter i cannot explain Mm -hmm. what happened and then there's like you know there's a lex was telling me uh, my friend at work was telling me about at like in Australia, pretty remote rural area, there were there was an orphanage, and these kids claimed that like aliens landed, they saw their spacecraft, and they saw them come out, and then they felt like the psychic effects and all that, and all that's documented. And so it's like out there, um, oh, but but I don't know. So scary. I don't know. But this movie's not about aliens, even though um, Ridley Scott did direct Alien, so. I wouldn't want to believe in aliens if they were xenomorphs. Though. No, uh-uh. 
I I want to believe that they are nice. I which sounds so childish, but you know what? I can't I can't handle any more bad news. Okay, yeah. I can't I can't believe aliens are bad. I need to I need them to be good. Are they friendly little guys? I want them to be friendly little guys and gals. And you gals. know, e- either one. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, like toward the end when they're. I don't know what highway that is, but they're kind of winding through Arizona or maybe like, no, cause it, they're, they're in New Mexico. They're in the New, New Mexico, Mexico part of yeah. where the, that's the Southern part of the Grand Canyon, I guess. Um, am I thinking about that right? Yeah. I think right? so. Yeah. Anyway. I don't have my water bottle that has the Grand Canyon sticker on it. Yeah. But I think that's right. Pretty amazing landscapes. Just like it made me think about um, the end of the Fablemans, where I haven't seen it yet. Where, uh, well, do you want me to spoil it for you? I mean, I guess I won't say I won't say it. But it reminded me of the end of the Fablemans, and anyone who's seen the Fablemans will know, and then you'll know one day. One Fablemans day. is really good. You should, you should I want to see it. I do want to see it. But yeah, the her. <clears throat> the horizon is always perfect. Mm-hmm. Basically every shot in this movie is perfect. Um it, it really is. Going going back to kissing, the <laughs> the scene where they're in the hotel uh with her and Jimmy, um Louise and Jimmy, and she said, "Do you remember she basically like says, "Do you remember when we first met?" and he said, "You have a nice pair of eyes." <laughs> the writing there I thought was really good because I thought he was going to say like, you know, like something sexual or whatever. Yeah. Inappropriate nice boobs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then she said, I, I closed my eyes and I asked you, what color are they? And you couldn't tell me. And then she covered his eyes and she said, what color are my eyes? And he laughed and he said, they're brown. And it was just a really nice little moment. It like, was really sweet. It was really sweet. And then they had this kiss and it was perfectly blocked because she reached in from the right. Warning, warning, warning. Left, and he is smoking a cigarette in his right hand. And the way this is framed, I kind of want to find it and like tweet it from our account or something because it was, it's just perfectly framed. It's like, it's like a mm-hmm. Renaissance painting. I loved it. It was beautiful. Also, you don't the see the kissing. Is... It's just, you see them having this yes. intimate moment and that's what's yes. cool about it. So, yes, I agree with you. Also, could you imagine kissing someone with long hair and also having a cigarette in your hand as you're doing that. The whole time I was like, what if he sets her hair on fire? Yeah. I would be so mad. Way to ruin that moment. But he didn't. I think, I think smoke, I think people who smoke know are very conscious of conscious of like, this is very, very hot right at the end. of Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, I think people who smoke are cool. I, well, I, I do that as well. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you watch two seasons of Mad Men, you can't not think smoking is cool. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Uh, someone tried to keep count. Speaking of Mad Men, someone tried to keep count of how many cigarettes they they have in that show, and like lost count after like like a thousand cigarettes or something like that. Yeah. Like, there's just so many. Um, it's funny listening to you know um, some some accounts of like when Mad Men was just taking over mm-hmm. pop culture and winning like Emmys Everything. every single year. Yeah. The Mad Men table 
was they were just by themselves and it was just like a plume of smoke because <laughs> like, everyone was smoking. <laughs> Which, I don't know. I, I go back and forth between whether I think smoking is cool or not. I think it looks cool in the movies, but I do not think it's cool in real life. But I think it's cooler than like e-cigs or vaping. 100%. Like, if you're going to do that, just smoke a cigarette. Be, be a cool person and smoke a cigarette. Yep. Yep. Smoking but you know, you, do you, um, does anyone in your office like vape? Yes. Okay. Because that's the other thing too, is like you can vape and it like doesn't really have the same secondhand impact. Right. Yeah. That's one well, benefit. Also, you can, I hate that I know this much about, about vaping. You can also get it to where it has like zero nicotine and it's mm-hmm. just like juice. And so you can get that oral fixation without having to like actually consume nicotine. But really, again, at that point, what is the point? Well, it's still damaging your lungs, like the heat and the water. Oh, yeah, okay, it's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, no, I wasn't. I wasn't like trying to mansplain. <laughs> no, 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 I I think it's funny that, like, that was the follow-up. No, I didn't think you were mansplaining it to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're not getting addicted to nicotine, but you are still destroying your lungs. I love when she goes in to rob the store. Mm -hmm. And she gives Louise the cigarette that she was smoking. And Louise is just, you know, catatonic because they lost their $6,700, basically everything that they were going to use to make it in Mexico and start a new life for themselves. And she's just staring ahead with her, her fingers, like, you know, just kind of limply clasping the cigarette and she looks over at it and you see you, it's like, this is what's so good about both of them. But in that moment, you know, Susan Sarandon, like her, you know, Louise is thinking I'm about to throw this out and just because I'm mad. But then she goes, right. Ah, screw it and then she just yeah. like takes a long drag on it and it's so it's so good it's just like it's yeah every it's single so moment good. in this movie is like that again it's just it's also subtle and just perfect um you know who i think if if they ever did this i don't know why they would ever what what purposes would serve ever but i think it'd be fine if like Susan Sarandon was in a movie with Ella Purnell, who plays Jackie. Honestly, they look jackets. yes, they look, they look so similar. Like they could play like granddaughter, grandma, granddaughter. Because I mean, I guess technically Susan Sarandon could have a child that's her age, but I'm just saying, Hollywood did you make it happen? Did you know that she's gonna be in the Blue Beetle DC movie? I just saw that actually. That's hilarious. I had no idea that Susan Sarandon was gonna be in that movie. I haven't even watched the trailer for that yet. I haven't either. So should we cover the DC? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Shut up. No. no. Um, I was gonna say, so you know the Bentonville Film Fest that happens? Yes. In Bentonville? Right. That one? Bentonville, Arkansas. In Bentonville, Arkansas. So Gina Davis actually helped get that together. Oh. And so she had had a really big um, hand in all of that. She's not from Arkansas, right? No, I think she's from... Hold on, let me tell you. She is 
from what is it why does it not say oh she's from massachusetts okay she's six feet tall that's a tall queen right there i i was looking well it's funny in the movie that when they're they're putting out the apb mm-hmm. and they say you know that louise is like five six or five two or something and then they say that Thelma is 5'10". I was like, I wonder if she's really 5'10 or if she's taller than that. But it's funny because in Beetlejuice, she looks like way taller than Alec Baldwin. Like way taller. Like six inches taller. So, pretty funny. I don't think... I don't know how tall Alec Baldwin is. I think he's probably... I bet he's probably like 5'11". Yeah. Well, I, I no, I think he's like 5'8 or something. I'm not sure. Hold, hold, hold. Actually, it's gonna take me a while. Hold on. Gina Davis was also in Ava. The uh, I think she plays Jessica Chastain's mother. Oh, okay. In that movie, Alec Baldwin is five eleven and a half, according to IMDb. Okay. Which means he's five nine. <laughs> I'm kidding, sort of. That means I am six one. Are you five <laughs> eleven? I'm five eleven, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, Delmo and Louise, perfect movie. Perfect movie. Yeah. I, I really yeah, I really highly recommend this movie if you just really enjoy good I think it has good cinematography. Mm-hmm. It's got Excellent cinematography. Excellent soundtrack. I was about to say, the score was Hans Zimmer. Which I was shocked to discover. I saw his name pop up at the beginning during the opening credits, and I was like, oh, this is, that's all I needed. There you go. As I really, as if I needed anything else, like Hans Zimmer doing the score, perfect. Yeah. So I think the only Oscar that it won was for writing. But it's very well deserved. That's like the that's like the equivalent of Get Out winning screenplay mm. several years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it won some Golden Globes and some Writers Guild and London Film and all that. So Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon were both nominated for Best Actress for their performance in this film. So there you go. I don't know who won that year. Let's you should find out. Best Actress. Oscar, what would that? Ninety. That was ninety-two. Neither oh, of us were okay. alive. Neither of us were alive. I like. I drink? always like uh, inserting that in just to give some people a frame of reference. <laughs> yes, I think that's specifically. Great. I do it at work all the time. <laughs> I do that at work sometimes. Really? It makes some of my coworkers <laughs> really mad because they'll be like, "Yeah, when I was like." you know 15 back in 94 i was like oh that's the year i was born and they're like screw you <laughs> yeah they get like really angry yeah like, what do you want me to do about it all right do you want to take a guess who which actor which actress won that year i like don't even i i don't even have a frame of reference okay jody foster silence silence of the lambs there we go yeah it was i mean it's a pretty stacked uh, nominee group. I mean, Jodie Foster, Gina Davis, Laura Dern for Rambling Rose, Beth oh. Midler for for the boys, and then Susan Sarandon. So, pretty pretty good, 
group of ladies there. Jodie Foster deserved it. She really did. Oh, man. Silence of the Lambs. Flyover movie? Not really. Not really, but honestly, if we covered it in October, I wouldn't be upset about it. Yeah. I could see that being a big Walter movie, too. Or he hates it. There's no (laughs) in-between. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. So... Mercury Mercury Blues Tennessee Plates plays in uh, the dance hall where they stop mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie. Tennessee Plates is, is a, that song slaps. Um, I don't want to play house. Badlands, you got Smokey Robinson. The way you do the things you do. This the Kenny Loggins has uh, no looking back on it. It, this, yeah, this this soundtrack, this soundtrack is really really good. It rocks. Yep. Yeah. I was bobbing the proverbial head all throughout. <laughs> so it. So the budget for this movie was sixteen point five million dollars, and it grossed. In the U.S. and Canada, forty-five point three six million dollars. So nice. It did pretty well at the box office. Yep, pretty good. I wonder what that is. Does box? Do you look on Box Office Mojo? Do they do inflation uh, adjusted? I, don't know. Yeah. I was looking at IMDb. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't. I didn't look there. Um. But this, I mean, this movie feels like a product of its time, but also it feels timeless in the same way. Yep. Um, like, clearly it's pretty dated based on they whatever she called, when Louise called Jimmy and was like, I need you to wire how the money, much money to me. Is, yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't even know how to do that. Like, I, Yeah. Well, and it makes me wonder, so like they, those, there are still like tons of Western unions at Kroger's. Mm-hmm. and grocery stores and i'm wondering just like what people i know i know that it's like for international purposes that's like a very big use but i'm i just wonder like other than that like why not you i guess i guess people just do that and think it's safer than like a bank transfer or i don't know it's weird yeah yeah i don't have any i didn't even know western unions were used for that purpose either i truly had no idea uh, but whenever she's like, oh, Western Union, and he, he calls back later, and he's like, it's the one on, on 23rd Street at this hotel. I was like, I know where 23rd Street is in Oklahoma City. Nice. Uh, it's where the Tower Theater, which is like that really, like, it's a oh, local yeah. theater. Um, I've talked about it before. Um, it's where I saw Lucy Dacus and also Reliant K perform. Two nice. People. Um, but also they, they show a lot of uh, like indie movies there, which is really cool. So anyway, but it's on that same street. And I was like, I don't think that hotel is real or at least it's not anymore, but that's really cool that they referenced a really popular street in OKC. I think did, is that near where we ate breakfast that one day? Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember you kind of, we were talking about the, the area. Yeah. It's pretty dope. At cafe, cafe Antigua. Oh my gosh. That was like the best. That was the best burrito I've ever had, probably. Oh, it's so good. 
I was thinking about that the other day, actually. I was like, man, I need to go back. Have you been there recently? No, I went to, so there's this other place called Cafe Cacao, which is where I was going to take you originally, but oh, it was yeah. like hella packed and it's always packed. Um, and so I went there like a month or so ago and it's so good. It's, it's, what's cool about those two restaurants is the wife owns Cafe Cacao and the husband owns Cafe Antigua. Perfect. And so the recipes are very similar. There you go. Um, but anyway, keep it in the family. Keep it in the family. So I was reading about the casting. Did you know that Jodie Foster was originally like selected for the one of the roles? Who would she have been? I don't know, but Michelle be... Pfeiffer was the other one that they had kind of like Ooh. in negotiations. Okay. All right, I would cast Jodie as Louise and Michelle as Thelma. Hmm. What do you think? I think I think that's probably what they were going for. I think that they would have done well in the other role, like in the opposite roles, but I think that they feel like Jody feels like a Louise to me and Michelle feels like a Thelma. I think you're right. But also, since we're talking like switching roles, can you imagine Susan Sar- Sarandon as uh, Cla- Clarice Starling? Oh. oh my goodness. That would have been good. That would have been really good. I think Gina Davis also would have been good as Clarice too. Yeah. yeah. Um, man, i I made two. I made my roommate and one of our friends watch that Silence of the Lambs, and afterwards I was like, "Okay, guys, what do you think?" And one of my friends was like, "That movie was insane." I was like, "I know, wasn't it amazing?" And she goes, "No, no, no, it wasn't." I was like, oh, "Okay, okay, all right, all right." And so she was pretty unnerved by it. I think so, which is fair. It's unnerving. Have yeah. I ever told you? Okay, I don't know if I've told you the story. Um, have you ever heard of the game Seen It? Um, no. Okay, so it's a movie trivia game that was really popular probably when we were in middle school. Yep. Like circa 2000. I don't know when the first one came out, but like let's just say 2004 to like 2008. Well, so my family, we had like every version of it was it, it a was dvd like, game yes okay yeah yeah, yeah 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 so there was like the movie version there was a tv version there was a music version there was a disney version there was a nickelodeon version we had all of those so one time my mom brother and i are at a family friend's house and it's like a mom and two daughters who they're like older than us and so one of them was in college at the time one of them was in high school but we're all playing playing scene it and it was basically like all of us against my mom because she's so good at it. Mm-hmm. And there was a, the scene from Silence of the Lambs where Hannibal Lecter go like is like doing the monologue and he's like super creepy. And then he goes, he like does a, a thing where he sucks in his teeth. Uh-huh. Yeah, that thing. Um, my mom knew that was coming. I, I, of course, was like 12, so I'd never seen that before. And so... Um, I didn't know what was happening, but my mom was like behind my brother. And as he does that, she like pushes, like taps him on his back and he screams (laughs) at the top of his lungs. It was so funny. He was terrified and he hates when we bring it up. (laughs) But it was like legitimately one of the funniest things that had happened. And I still think about it every time Silence of the Lambs comes up. It's incredible. Shout out to Thomas. Shout out Thomas. 
So. Silence of the Lambs was a movie that I saw when I was old enough to like not be totally freaked out by it. Mm-hmm. Um, although its reputation had preceded itself and everyone was like, that's like everyone I talked to, including my parents said, that's the scariest movie ever. And that was the same way with The Shining too. Mm-hmm. My parents went to see The Shining in theaters like r- around the time that they started dating. And oh. my mom was like, yeah, it scarred me for life. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. So. Yeah, no, it, The Shining is, it, it is scary, but I don't think it's scary in the same way that, like, The Conjuring is scary, you know? Right, yeah. Um, and so, I don't know, I feel like it's hard to say something is scary without qualifying why it's scary. Like, I think Silence of the Lambs is scary, but it's scary because it's like, this guy is actually insane, and he's probably smarter than everyone else mm-hmm. in the room always, and who knows what he's actually capable of. Yeah. Um, so. It's always made me really interested in watching the Brian Fuller Hannibal series with Mads Mikkelsen. Because apparently that's really good and he's really good. It. Yeah. So I'm, and Matt, I mean, it's Mads, so. Yeah, it is. It is Mads. It is Mads. Yeah. Our boy so, Mads. Love, love Mads. So. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I was gonna, I was gonna somehow bring us back, but I didn't know how to. So you go ahead. I can bring us back. Great. Here's a question for you. Another casting alt. Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn offered, and they were like set to play the roles of Thelma and Louise. All right. But Streep had to drop out, and then, or no, no, no. Okay, they weren't set for it. I think Streep was maybe considered, but then Han wasn't considered. But they were both... I'm trying to, like, place myself in that setting. I'm pretty sure that Goldie Hawn... Definitely Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep was definitely, like, a bigger name, like a bigger star than either Gina Davis or Susan Sarandon. Mm -hmm. But if it had been Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn, would this movie be, like... Like a more even more of a cultural touchstone. This isn't. I'm not like downplaying. I'm not downplaying Gina Davis or Susan Sarandon because they were both like big in their own rights. But I feel like Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn were like just a little bit of a level up. They probably were, especially at that time. But man, I don't I feel like it Okay, I would I would guess Goldie Hawn would be cast as Louise and Meryl would be cast as Thelma. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess. That's how I would cast them. And I think that cuz Goldie Hawn plays kind of the she, it's funny she'll either play like the princess or like kind of the the really rough around the the edges kind of female character. Mm-hmm. it seems like there's no in between which is probably not true and i realize she's been in lots of things that i haven't actually seen but i've seen i think enough to like have kind of an idea of that and so that's why i think she would play louise a little bit better than meryl streep but i don't it's hard it's hard to sub in different actors mm-hmm. when 
the actors who we ended up with did such a great job that it's yep. like how would how well, I think have... that I think that the, it's the best version of the movie if you have Sarandon and Davis. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. just one of those things. It's just one of the funny things to think about because, like, even the other performance or even the other performers, like Brad Pitt was the underdog going into auditioning for that role, but then and George Clooney, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, Dylan McDermott, and Dermot Mulroney were all considered for the role of JD. So yeah, you, it's I just mean, it's just it's one of those things you look at. And it's like man. And not for the sake of like, I think it's a perfect movie, like I said, but it's like, if any of those names had been in there, it may have just taken it up a notch in terms of how it's viewed. Because like people, I think people do, I, I, like, have your parents seen this movie? Yeah. I, so my mine haven't. Maybe like if if there were one or more performers that were just a little bit more of a household name during that time, but would have been just a little bit more in the cultural zeitgeist than it is now. Cause it's obviously like very influential on film uh-huh. today. Right. Which maybe, but I think, I think having maybe well-known names doesn't make, make the movie better. Um, cause I, I mean, how many movies have we, have we watched? Like, I, I don't mean like you and me, I mean, just kind of like a general, we have, have we gotten or seen with like a ton of people in it that end up being bad movies or, or just mm-hmm. flop and really fly under the, the cultural radar. All right. So like, not even like, I was thinking of, of like, the the team up movies kind of like Valentine's Day or New Year's Eve, right? Yeah. It's got everyone in it in those movies. But I don't know anyone who's like, you know what movies I absolutely love? Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day and RIPD. Yeah. You remember that one? No. That was a it was the Rest in Peace Department. It's based on a graphic novel, but it's like Ryan Reynolds is a cop who gets killed and then he's a ghost detective with Jeff Bridges. Oh. And Kevin Bacon is like the villain. And I walked in, it was the TV was playing it at work randomly one day. And I was watching a scene and I was like, this is, these are three of like the best performers or, or like three of the, I would like broadly speaking, like best actors. Well known actors. Yeah. And like most famous actors. And it's in this like piece of crap movie, Rest in yeah. RIPD. I mean, think about. Resting podcast. Resting podcast. Think about Nick Cage, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yep. He is in, either in a fantastic movie or a dumpster fire of a movie, and and it feels like there's no in between for him. And like, the, it, it's just I don't know. Just because you have a well-known name in a movie doesn't mean it it works better. Yep. So. But it would be, I mean, to to back to the question, I think it would have really changed. I think it would have really changed the feel of this movie had Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep in cast, or Jodie Foster and Michelle Pfeiffer. 
Yep. And that's what is so amazing about casting is, you know, I'm, uh, I wish I had the casting director kind of like up so I could give her credit, him or her credit for the bringing Brad Pitt to the silver screen because that was the right move. You know, like it's not always the most, it's not always the more famous person. Right. It's the person that's right for the role. Right. The casting director was Louis DiGiamio. He also was a casting director for Gladiator. Um, let's see what else he was casting director for that we would know. Made in Brooklyn, um, 16 Blocks, Renegade, um, Hannibal, Gla- I said Gladiator. G.I. Jane. So I get he worked with he worked with Ridley um, Scott. Yeah, Ridley Scott a lot. Donnie Brasco, the juror. The juror. Oh, he did it for The Exorcist three. The Guardian. The Guardian is interesting. Because I think that was Whitney Houston's first big role. Oh, interesting. Um, Rain Man. Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah big the name. Exorcist, The Godfather. Ooh, that was so his he. First, he knew what he was doing. <laughs> that was his first. The Godfather was his first casting director credit. Could you imagine? That's crazy. Oh, he's. You said he started with The Godfather. That was his first credit on Casual. at least on IMDb. That's his first. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. That's um, that is goat status right there. So okay, we got it. We got to talk about like as we near our uh, our fateful drive into the Grand Canyon, ending this podcast. Um, we got to talk about that fateful drive into the Grand Canyon. Yes. So you knew it was going to end that way, right? I did. Did you? I did. Okay. All right, so but and I'm I'm curious, interview. you know, for people who haven't seen Thelma and Louise, it's it is a like such a famous, mm-hmm. well known like even if it, it's I mean it's been referenced everywhere like you even if you don't know it you know it because either The Simpsons is paid homage to it or mm-hmm. some something or else. Family Guy or you know one of the like shows like that for sure yeah. reference it. Um, it's. It's honestly like what a beautiful and yep. sick ending to just go out in a blaze of glory and I I really feel like it it's like I feel like this is so lame but I'm going to say it anyway. I feel like I really feel like it's like a like a really like feminist power move honestly. Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to let these men yep. take me in and tell me that what we did was wrong when what that man did originally was was wrong and I'm not going to let these men who aren't going to believe me tell me that what I did was was wrong. And I I get it. Like I think it, it's amazing. 
it's it's such a I've I've several thoughts. First of all, Ridley Scott, low-key, like one of the all-time allies. He is a feminist. Because the last him. duel is this same thing. Man, the last duel is so good. It is. It's I can't so believe good. I, I can't, can't believe, believe it flopped so hard. But. I can't believe House of he had two movies come out in the same year. That movie and House of Gucci. So and I can't both. believe House of Gucci was the one that we all talked about. I'm so mad with everyone for that. Do you you anyway. know how I say you know me famously I love kissing and I love swords. Right. So the last duel, that opening scene where it's like you get thrown into it really fast, like mm-hmm. okay, there's a fight, blah blah blah. And then they do the time shifts and all that and the perspectives. But the movie starts with that sword fight Mm -hmm. and then it ends with that sword fight. And that's one of the most like, oh my gosh, this is the guy who made Gladiator. I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm about to get my head chopped off because of how intense the sword play is. But then the whole point of that movie is like, (laughs) Ridley Scott's like, yeah, women have been dealing with this for centuries. For actual centuries. Like It's so, he's so awesome. Yeah, no, Ridley Scott, he's he's a real one. He's a homie. We mm-hmm. we love him. So anyway, yeah, continue with your thoughts. You're right. Ridley Scott is a feminist. He's an ally. And it's what makes this movie so layered and incredible and indelible because they're running like there's so much complexity with Louise's character, especially when you figure out like, Oh, she was like, she was raped. And, and she, and she, and the way that it's just a couple moments, but she's like, I'm not talking about it. I am not talking about it. And it's like scary. Like you have those moments with friends when they just like, buddy, you hit that boundary, you cross that boundary. And like, I'm flipping out because I do not, I don't want to talk about it. I'm mad. I don't even know how to like compose myself. Mm -hmm. Like that moment in the car and it's just Ooh. the camera's just locked on Susan Sarandon's face. Mm-hmm. And you see Gina Davis, like, kind of petting her arm or patting it, mm-hmm. trying to say, like, it's okay, it's okay. But it's, you, you just are so locked on her face, and she's trying to, like, suppress it, but she yeah. can't. And the whole movie is that. The whole movie is, like, I guess we could have gone to the police, and it's kind of my fault, but... They just, I just know that they wouldn't have believed either of us because I've already right. been through it and it's so sad. But then at the same time, like, you know what? I got one life. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go back and just like be thrown into the bullshit machine of like due process when I'm not gonna right. get due process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, it, that's still the case today. I right. mean, I I work with clients who who are victims of sexual assault all the time and often if if they've told anyone they're not believed but often I'm the first person they tell which is like on one hand I hold that in great like I hold my position as a therapist in great honor because like that is an honor that I that someone is willing to share something so horrible with me Mm-hmm. that has happened to them and then on the other hand it is one of the saddest things and most like disheartening things is like yep. this happened to you when you were 16 and now you're you know 40 years old and, and I'm the first person you're telling yep. but like 
if they do tell, who's going to believe them? Because yeah. like Susan Sarandon said, like like Louise was saying, like immediately were, after it happens too. Yeah, yeah, like you were dancing with him all night. Everyone saw you. You were drinking. They're going to say you were asking for it, which all of that is still said today. Mm-hmm. Yep. I also right. love. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say I, I interrupted your thoughts. Keep going. No, you're good. That I just love all the details. You know, whenever. Um, Hal breaks into um, Louise's apartment mm-hmm. and it's very neat and like mm-hmm. all of the dishes are clean. And she was like, when I come back to this apartment, when I get back from this trip, I'm going to walk in and be happy because it is like spotless. Like I just love all the, the, and the, the difference between them packing at the beginning of the movie and <laughs> Thelma just like dumping Tons of socks. That's something that they, when the FBI says like, well, it looks like she left in a, she left pretty quickly. It's mm-hmm. funny because it's like, no, if you knew her, you just knew that she was late and she was just grabbing like tons, right. like way too much stuff. Yeah. Um, again, just like very real characters. Yeah. These, these characters all feel very genuine and feels like people from your, your hometown, right? Like, which I think makes all of it even sadder at the same time. And mm-hmm. I, we talked about the complexity of these characters and I think you're right. They're, they're incredibly con- complex. And I feel like this is one of those movies, like upon a rewatch, you're going to pick up on things that you didn't, didn't get the first time around. And so I, I'm kind of, I, I don't know when I'll revisit this movie, but I am looking forward to it whenever I do, because I'm excited to see like, Oh, I didn't realize that they said that at this point so early, you know? Um, But it just feels so, they're just, they feel so genuine. And I love, I love the part where Thelma is like, I didn't know I had this side in me. And Louise was like, you've had it all along. It's just been trapped. And I think that that's how. (laughs) This is the first time you've ever been uh, able to express yourself. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's what she says. Uh, first time you've ever been to able to express yourself and you know i think that that's under like maybe better circumstances that's a really beautiful thing is like when people finally do get the opportunity to express themselves as like who they actually are and what they actually enjoy like that's that's incredible and and so um seeing that happen and unfold is also really cool again it's complex because it's like happening because you you guys murdered someone and and now you're robbing places that's not cool but also it's kind of cool and badass that you're just like Mm -hmm. doing whatever you want now yeah um so again it's really complex and nuanced and i i love that last thing i'll say is that roger ebert the famed uh critic disliked the ending of Thelma and Louise. Like he loved the movie, but he disliked the ending because he said, quote, it's a freeze frame that fades to white, which is fine, except it does so with unseemly haste. It's unsettling to get involved in a movie that takes 128 minutes to bring you to a payoff that the filmmakers seem to fear, Mm. which is, which, which has leads to another thought that I had, like, it goes to like kind of a recap of like the moments of mm-hmm. between them throughout the movie. 
which is incredibly effective because it like makes you want to sit and kind of watch those moments again and see how much they changed Mm -hmm. throughout the course of the story. And then also like, like you said, it just makes it more sad because you're like, Oh dang. Like, so I don't know. I just think Roger Ebert is completely wrong in this regard. So I'll say it. I'll say it. I think he's wrong. What is he going to do? Nothing. Yeah. Because he's not alive. Yeah, because so. he's dead. But we're sad that he's R. dead. All right, podcast. Pete, rest of the podcast. <laughs> um, any final thoughts about Thelma and Louise? Uh, my only final thoughts are: I don't know if this is a fact. It kind of looked like it, though. I think Brad Pitt had an OU tattoo on his like shoulder. Don't know if that's true, but it kind of looked like it. I couldn't get a good sh- good. There was not a good shot of it. Anyway, did, I did he go to OU? No. I just, it's just I, like, yeah. I just, yeah. Anyway. Oh, oh, oh. It was probably his character because he was yeah, a robber. Yeah, it was probably JD's tattoo. He's a, not he's a grifter. But anyway, there's that. And then also Lena the Waitress, played by Lucinda Jenny. She's a real one, too. Mm-hmm. She is. Empower she women, is. empower women, you know? You know what? You're so right. Those are my final thoughts. Any final thoughts from you, iDog? I just have one question for you. Are you ready to jump from one girl boss movie to another girl boss movie? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> I love girl boss movies. Uh, our next episode, we're going to be talking about um, nine to five. Oh, man. Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, we Dolly Parton, Sterling Hayden, Dabney Coleman, Elizabeth Wilson. It's going to be a real one. And I'm pumped because of how much Olivia has hyped it up to me. I'm probably really going to try to watch it. Like it. That's going to be devastating to me. I here's the thing. Here's the I thing. like most things. I think you're going to like it. I just but but it's also like it's it's a classic. But I think it's like um, so. This was eighty. This was eleven years before Thelma and Louise. Um, it's hilarious too, right? Yeah, it's here's the deal. It's got a little bit of everything in it, and you really love it. Or I do, at least. So yeah. I really, I can't wait to talk about it with you. Also, I'm looking at our schedule, and we're going from girl boss to girl boss to girl boss because we're mm-hmm. going to do Ladybird after that. What? What a Damn big run we're having. Right. Damn so, right. Man. To yellow, uh, to yellow Jackets. To yellow Jackets season two. I, man, this one's Four girl bosses ladies. in a row. Walter could never. Walter could never. And he won't. He could. He could. But he won't. But that's okay. He's gonna be a dad. Congrats, Walter. Man, congrats! Shout out to Morgan and Walter Lyle. Mazel tov to the real the ones. Parents. Morgan yeah. is the real one. That's right. Um, thank you for listening. This episode was not produced by Walter because he's a chicken and <laughs> uh, he can't. <laughs> he's too he can't produce from uh from the hospital waiting room. Whatever. Um or the delivery room. His beds are not comfortable, by the way. Um, but Walter, thoughts going out for you and Morgan and baby Lyle. And um, our music is by Cordon Jocks. Our art is by Macy Lummis. They're both Little Rock artists. Be sure to check them out. Our next episode is going to be nine to five. It's going to rule. It's going to be in two weeks. Live dog. Good chat tonight. Hey, good chat. See you on the other side. See you on the other side.